Hello and welcome to this, the second episode of our series, Is God the Biosphere? With me, Philip Tottenham, and with Ed Straw. Hello. Hello. At the end of the last episode, I think we said something like, next week we're going to talk about it, and then we skipped a week. And that came in part down to our, quote-unquote, creative differences in terms of trying to hash out what this episode was going to be about. So we'll get on to that in due course. But Ed, maybe you'd like to just remind us where we got to in the last episode in terms of why the biosphere has not, so far, proved a compelling object for our attention. Yeah, and so we we took this from the Biodiversity Revisited paper and the challenge that they put, which said that biodiversity has not, broadly speaking, proven to be a compelling object for sufficient action to halt the degradation of the diversity of life on Earth. Significant knowledge about biodiversity loss has not catalyzed effective broad-based action. And what we then did last week was to go through all of those uh, obstacles that we thought, or mindsets, or whatever you might want to call them. Which I think we we sort of narrowed down to the the tragedy of the commons, our personal gains outweighing our collective needs. We talked about the addiction system, you know, the monetary system and the technosphere that we're all stuck in. Um, And the general, the sort of pervasive psychology of avoidance, particularly when it comes to the wealthier parts of humanity abdicating their their power and privilege sufficiently to make things sustainable. You know, the huge difficulty that individuals in in power and and with wealth face in in doing that. And that, and we ended up, I mean, I don't think we discussed them all, but about 20 or 30 different reasons, mm. excuses for inaction. So then we said, okay, what would it make it compelling? Uh, and that's where we've got to. <laughs> that's, that's where we, we rather haggled for a while and just let the recording last week go past until we got a bit closer. So... I think one one thing we did discuss is our status as an emergent property. And again, for non-systems thinkers, this is this idea that systems have a a kind of a law unto themselves and produce emergent properties, which are a little bit like the whole being more than the sum of its parts and the the bit that is beyond the sum of its parts. That's a very crude analogy. But um, I mean, things things happen. Uh, and, and we don't necessarily know that they're going to happen mm. as a result of all the relationships and interactions. Well, like, like and, financial crises and so on. Yeah, in a system. And so we, I, humans, are an emergent property of the biosphere. And this then takes us into an understanding that, that nature is an absolute. It's not shifting. We've tried to escape it we've we've tried to overcome it we've tried to control it but actually i think time and time again we've come to the point of realizing that we can't we are part of it i mean that really that's that's the the history of civilization in a way in in a nutshell you know attempts to control escape and and create sort of sanctuaries from nature as a, as a sort of invasive force you know we have to get in our heads that that yeah this thing 
isn't going away. Without it, we're dead. You could say, you know, why are we even having this debate about nature? Because it, it, it's so bloody obvious, you know, the sun, the water, everything. So that brings us to saying, well, you know, what is our relationship to nature? What can it be? I mean, how can we restore that relationship, um, reconnect with but it? But I suppose that's in part looking at how that division came about in the first place. You know, how, how did the division come about and how can we restore a certain amount of, of unity? It's, it's almost like flipping our heads out of the technosphere and into nature. Mm. Let's stop worshipping that particular god mm. and consider how we can worship a different god if that's what we're going to do well this anticipates um, what we're, we're coming on to in terms of our discussion of spirituality i suppose you know one thing we're driving at is what does a harmonious relationship look like people have been thinking about this for a long time and i'm, I'm curious you know what frameworks already exist in trying to mend this broken relationship you know like how how are you know, we obviously have things like Jainism historically, and even Buddhism has a strong nature orientation. Most of the Eastern religions, I mean, put nature at their centre, mm. as distinct from the Western religions, of course, who put nature in a position where it was there really for our use. I guess the thoughts about this, well, I'm, the thoughts about this have been going on forever, but there was a particular paper in the 1960s by uh, someone called Lynn White who posited this notion of environmental ethics. Mm. And the point about that was to elevate the biosphere and human consciousness that it becomes dominant in all that peoples and governments do. So, I mean, to quote a bit of the paper, environmental ethics as a field of study reaches back to the 60s, Lynn White, who examined the evolving history of the relationship between humans and nature, the impact of religions, specifically Christianity and its setting of the terms of the relationship, and the development of the Occidental traditions of modern science and technology and their eventual domination of scientific practice throughout the world. So Christianity, in absolute contrast to ancient paganism and Asians religions, not only established a dualism, a separation of man, an opposition of man and nature, but also insisted it's God's will that man exploit nature for its his proper ends. Mm. Man mm. and nature are two things and man is the master. Mm. Um, blah, 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 and this blah, blah. is Christianity you're talking about specifically. Yes. Yeah. White's conclusion was that what people do about their ecology depends on what they think about themselves in relation to the things about them, which is what we're on about. Human ecology is deeply conditioned by beliefs about our nature and destiny, that is, by religion. Mm. So this is really um, what we're talking about here is metaphor, not so much as a kind of decoration in a poem or a piece of writing, but as the sort of fundamental framing of how we think about the world and how we relate to yes. things. Yes. What we're interested in is, again, how the biosphere becomes a compelling object for our attention, but specifically how our history as, as religious societies can help us. And given 
the very rocky history of religion and its sort of association with war, abuse, etc., etc., we sort of both, I think, sense that there's a baby that we want to save from the bathwater. And I think that baby is something to do with having a, a spiritual or some kind of holistic outlook on things. Is that right? Yeah, Lynn White concludes that given that religion has got us into this fix, we're going to have to look to religion to get us out of this fix. Then that brings us on to the point, well, you know, what is religion? And we put in this trigger warning last week, you know, we're not going to be attempting to form a cult and and sign everyone up to some new religion. We're not going to attempt to persuade people that actually this religious practice or that religious practice is the way to go. Well, I liked your framing when we first talked about this, of it being a systemic inquiry. And, you know, I I would just like to underline that we really love when we hear from listeners. We want to hear from you because we feel this is an interesting thing to explore. And we're not dishing out answers. We're dishing out questions, I think, really, aren't we? Yeah, the question being, is God the biosphere? Do we need God to be the biosphere? So there are religious religions, Mm. which we've talked about. There are also secular religions in the sense of... Things like communism, national socialism, Nazism. Transhumanism, which is this sort of idea of of humanity's inevitable future in technology and being emancipated from our bodies, which is obviously crazy talk. But a lot of people in Silicon Valley, which is a powerful part of the world, believe it. Yeah, the met the metaverse and all and of that. that yeah. Woke as a religion, which we we've come across. In <laughs> Donald Trump as a messiah. It's <laughs> Donald Trump as a messiah. So there are all these conceptions mm. of, of religions around. We're sort of trying to put those to one side and say, well, please don't think of what we're th- considering here as a religion per se Mm. but Mm. can we think of the biosphere as something that's so significant and indeed so mighty Mm. and so almighty that that actually if we're going to get out of the trap that we're in the more of us that are thinking of the biosphere as god Mm. then the more likely it is that we will act in ways across the board and gradually, well, quickly, hopefully, get governments and companies and all the rest of it to act in ways that put the biosphere at the centre of the governance model, which coming back so to... So this is, this is a, an interest. So when we talk about the more we think of framing the biosphere as God, I mean, a part of me is screaming. But at the same time, I grew up in part in, in a sort of Christian family and was subjected to the usual indoctrination in, in school and so on. But I often thought about, you know, is this all madness or was there some was there a brilliant idea behind this? Uh-huh. And in terms of the history of Christianity, which is a lot of the rest Western religions, you know, there's a strong case to be made that the the guy or this character in the story called Jesus Christ who um, disappeared when he was 15 and reappeared when he was 33 
uh, went to a Buddhist mo- monastery. And in fact, there's a body of research that um, has actually found a tomb in Afghanistan of the person that they think this is. Right. But the, the theory is, which goes back to uh, Schopenhauer, actually, that Christianity has ended up being a, a Buddhist overlay on Judaism. So Judaism, right. the big idea in Judaism is that we, all, we are all of one uh, body um, because we all believe in one God. We're all, this is what binds us together. Yeah. And people that didn't believe in that God were not Jews. And so that yeah. sort of held them together in their tribes and so on. And then the brilliant insight that came from Buddhism was that, oh, hang on a second, this isn't about being Jewish or not Jewish. The thing that binds us together is love. And the reason it comes from Buddhism is that they have this history of loving kindness meditation. And yeah. in terms of neurology, kindness contrasts neurologically with stress. So mm-hmm. stress, as we know, is mostly bad for you unless you can recover from it, in which case it can be good for you. But kindness is how you reduce stress. So by being kind, by seeing, by looking at things that you feel kindly towards. And yes, Ed, I will, I will cut this down. <laughs> but, no, no, car- carry on. But again, a part of the genius of Christianity is to take this way of looking at the world. And in the Buddhist loving kindness meditation, you kind of patch, it's almost like photoshopping, where you, you take an object of meditation, like your pet or your child that you feel kindly towards. You focus on the feelings of that, and then you sort of patch them in your imagination around your society that you feel this yeah. this feeling of loving kindness towards everything and this is what helps you reduce stress and and feel better about the world with christianity there's a great sort of insight with jesus kind of saying well believing is seeing so you just you can just believe and you can bypass all the kind of the eight or 12 steps to enlightenment and you just believe and you believe in this god and again, this sort of ties in with, with Indian mathematics using zero as a, as a placeholder, that by believing in this God, you're sort of pushing out your liability to become highly attached to things like technology, money, and other kind of quote-unquote gods, which yeah. is a very verbose way of trying to say that I, I feel yeah. that the idea of God that makes me scream is this sort of idea that we have to somehow kowtow to a bully. Um, yeah, where I kind of see that as a framing for how you look at things and a framing for how you can have a personal relationship with nature specifically around you and the biosphere in general. I sort of feel that it's that that doesn't make me scream so much. I I, I can I can possibly yeah. get I mean, with that. It, it, yeah, I mean it's it's, all, it's almost like a democratic god, isn't mm. it? That that we're we're, we're sort of going to have a. Uh, a vote and uh we're going to vote that uh yeah god is the biosphere uh and that's our choice and i guess what we're trying to do in this podcast is is to oh you know ask uh, uh possibly even implore mm. people to consider this idea um because it's so important but there are other aspects of why we would want that to be and if we think about our connection with nature and terms like mother nature and earth mother and the way in which that 
encapsulates something of a higher spirit mm. of some people to see it in terms of the light of something there being higher than us so there's something that's more to the world than us mm. and those feelings that we get in that relationship i think they exist and i think sometimes we sort of try and hide away from them but then when we find ourselves in that space of, the, of this higher being, mm. then we are actually more connected with the world. We are happier mm. indeed. I think you've talked before about the blue zones, you know, these places where people live really long. And a big part of living a long time is having a sense of purpose. And I yeah. was, I've always been intrigued with this idea of purpose because I just sort of thought, well, it seems sort of arbitrary, you know, going around kind of, having purpose and you know I was reading a thing on social media this morning about leadership and it kind of stuck in my craw I just thought you know this sort of grandiose talk of leadership kind of gets up my nose a little bit but then I was thinking about you know in particularly for this episode I was thinking about how this idea of God as kind of clearing a space and in a similar way purpose sort of clears a space without purpose to be purposeless is on the one hand, to yeah. be drifting, which, you know, could be quite pleasant, but a bit pointless, and yeah. also a bit liable to being caught up in something not of your choice. But yeah. also, I was thinking that there's a kind of an element of neurosis in yeah. lacking purpose, because I was trying to think about how would this, you know, relate to living long. To have purpose in your life, possibly, and I'm putting this out there for discussion, helps you live long by clearing out your liability to have anxieties over petty things that yeah that age it, you. i mean it's, it's yeah no it's very interesting we, we were watching a program on uh bbc iplayer the other night on i think it's called the earth's great rivers or something mm. and this was the danube and they showed this woman in the higher reaches of the danube who her purpose i mean absolutely her purpose is fly fishing for trout And she very carefully makes each uh, hook Mm. with a representation of the fly, immensely Mm. uh, Mm. complex and difficult. Then she goes out onto the river. She may not catch a trout all day, but that is her life purpose. And she really focuses on it. Mm. In the same way, if we can see our purpose in relation to nature, Mm. and the biosphere mm. and I mean really hold that as a purpose and really get it as a purpose and and sort of embrace it and immerse ourselves in it and realize its benefits and worship it mm. well then this is where we get into the sort of social benefits of purpose because maybe there is a sort of sickness to, to modernity and modernism in you know, having to work all these things out for yourself. One of the more influential Muslim philosophers, you know, who, who had a big influence on Roman Catholicism was um, Avicenna. And he had this basic idea, which makes a lot of sense, that for most people, you're busy, you don't have time to reinvent the wheel. So religion is a good framework for thinking about yeah. the world. But some people yeah. are emancipated from work, probably people from aristocratic backgrounds and those people have the liberty to think about things so for those people philosophy is the way to go we're kind of lost between the two in the modern world because we're both incredibly busy and kind of having to reinvent the wheel whereas just to have a bit of simplicity and an agreement you know again i'm always focused on well what's going to make my life better in terms of i talk about the biosphere i think that that is a good benefit 
we're sort of coming into sort of nature as this hedonistic giver. Mm. And when I say hedonistic, I'm not talking necessarily about a rave, but something that provides for us. Mm. And, it, and we think about nature in relation to our health, you know, our physical health. Being healthy, having had times in my life when I've been unhealthy, it's, it strikes me so much now what an incredible pleasure it is to be healthy. And to get out mm. and run and canoe and walk and whatever it is you want to do. Then you find that actually that's good for your mental health. Mm. And there's a lot of research. The more connected we are to nature, the more opportunities we have to be in nature, the better our mental health. Mm. And of course, our medical health as well, that so many drugs and cures have come out of nature you know there's a plant gosh there's uh, an animal eating it gosh why is the animal eating it gosh well it turns out it's got antibiotics absolutely i mean this this is like cattle or even elephants actually in in kenya they've dug a cave where they go and lick salt because it's because it's good for them you know canoeing to spiders therapy to medicines one of the other guys on this program about rivers was saying I can go to the psychotherapist, I can go to the river. Mm. And uh, it's sort of equivalent. <laughs> or do both. Um, or, or, or indeed do both, yes, maybe that's the answer. Um, there's something also about consciousness, I think, mm. uh, in all of this, which I know you you have expressed before. Well, I suppose the, uh, I mean, the thing that was jumping at my mind as you were talking there was, was this talk I went to, um, just a local, a local business meeting where um, an interior designer gave a great talk about biophilic design. And really what this is about is how our minds warm to any representations of nature. So the ideal thing, and we've heard a lot recently about things like so-called forest bathing, which sounds ludicrously kind of, I don't know, it just sounds a bit ridiculous yeah. going out forest bathing. And yet being in forests is strongly associated with longer and healthier lives. And then even bringing representations of plant and forest and having them in your environment, for example, in your office, is very good for your mental health. That was the net result of this talk on biophilic yeah, and design and houseplants mm. you know, when people are stuck at home and and just having a plant there and the benefits of that just think about breathing pure air mm. you think about the mountains you think about the sea you think about the sky i mean nature gives so much to humans mm. which sort of then raises the question well what shall we give to nature we're getting back to systems thinking and mindset, but giving to nature in a sense is, is sort of giving to yourself, you know, to, to be to be among it, to nurture it. That, that, and exactly. again, that nurturing I mean, it, and loving kindness is incredibly good for you. You know, this. Yeah. <laughs> that, and I mean, if you, if you just think about any relationship, you know, a relationship between you and an animal, you know, a pet and what that animal gives you, and what and am I giving Indeed, how animal? animals have been used and, in, in mental And then health. particularly particularly in human relations, mm. that those relations have to be two-way, to be a relationship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you can think about, particularly about your most close and intimate relationship with 
with a partner or a parent or a child or a friend. Mm. It's always two-way. Or indeed with your own body. I mean, this is something that I kind of belatedly came to realise, that I was treating my system like a kind of a a horse that I was galloping at full speed and never really getting any rest and not feeding it properly. And then over time, you know, as I left my 20s and got into my 30s, I came to realize that this uh, horse wasn't going to run forever and was trying, to, was trying to send some signals to me. And I feel that there's a strong analogy, and maybe it's more than an analogy, between that communication with your body and one's communication yeah. with the biosphere. Exactly. And nature is in our bodies. Mm. So the, the microbiome, yes. which lines yeah. our bodies, uh, but is actually separate from us Mm. but is absolutely essential to us and where does that microbiome come from well it comes from nature yeah and indeed i I heard a podcast about this it's very interesting that probably the best thing you can do for your microbiome is to get a dog oh really you know people complain about their dogs sort of licking all sorts of awful things around the park or in, in the country but apparently this you know dogs bring great diversity to, to the yeah. to the biome within the house and well a, a similar one that I heard from Lindsay uh, my wife is that actually the soil mm. on a potato for example has got a lot of good nutrients and biomes or whatever they are mm. that come into our body and the more we wash vegetables in fact the less goodness we're getting. So she's quite keen on there being plenty of <laughs> soil. I'm sort of less keen on that. Oh, come but, on. You, you, you must love a little bit of crunch, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are just so many reasons for resetting our mindset in relation to nature, to the biosphere. And can we go that further step and reset our mindset to the biosphere being our god Mm. well let's just circle back because i feel like we want to touch on how this could be framed in terms of systems thinking because you know you've worked with lots of organizations and one thing that i've repeatedly gotten which we've mentioned already is this question of purpose you know of you know what is the purpose of the individual but also of the organization And I think I'm right in saying that purpose is a a really crucial part of catalyzing change within an organization. And that organization can be, for example, a state. So a classic example would be JFK and the the moon project that he Mm. decided that they would get a man on the moon by 1969 Mm. and the the resources of the country were put behind it. To to get back to to our purpose, making the biosphere Mm a compelling object for us there's the sort of the meditation side or whatever but as a society to have this kind of written in as a purpose absolutely and then trumps all of those things that we've got trapped into Mm. that are essentially well at one level no good for us but but also are literally destroying our habitat Mm. so you know, consumerism, technology, the economic system mm. that regards the environment as an externality. It's like, for God's sake, can we, well, for, there you are, for God's sake, can we raise ourselves above this and put the purpose of nature and the biosphere at the top, which is where it's 
needs to be. And in many respects, it sort of is anyway, isn't it? In the sense that, you know, we only have to stand back and go, well, you know, without this thing, we don't exist Mm. at all. And so surely the biosphere being God is simply the truth, Mm. is it not? Well, I mean, I suppose we're getting into the nature and meaning of God. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm I'm very sympathetic to, to what you're saying there. I feel like we want to interrogate a bit more what God is about. And that could be a good subject for our next episode, do you think? Yeah, you know, what is a God? What does a God mean? How do we express it? And so on. Yeah, no, I think that'd be terrific. Great. Well, that was super. We've talked about the biosphere being a compelling object of our attention. Um, Mm. We talked about nature as an absolute and how we relate to it. You mentioned within that the the whole question of environmental ethics and and mindsets, and particularly Lynn White Mm. and this idea of how God and religion could very well provide us with a means or at least a kind of a model to get past our, well, I suppose it's really about getting past the tragedy of the commons. That's, you know, to Mm. go back to to the last episode. Mm. And that's why, you know, complete with our trigger warning, I'm sure many listeners are very unhappy about all this, but uh, sorry. Um, But, you know, to get past that, this framing of nature in its maternal role Mm. almost to us and to to recognise that, I think, could potentially be huge and it's not a cost it's not you know this isn't some awful duty this is really the the essence of hedonism because it's it gives us the prospect of incredible health and happiness um so i can i can i can get with this as being an idea of god and uh, and i look forward to next week i think that would be great brilliant yeah thanks ed and thanks listeners thanks philip Cheers. Cheers. See you next week.